Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remix Season 1, Episode 2, The Detail. I'm your host, Surreal Gerald Quinn, uh, taking you for another episode, breaking out another episode of The Wire. Of course, last week we did the pilot episode, The Target. But unlike last week, I am joined by a special guest, co-host, a guy who loves The Wire as much as I love it, if not more, one Robert Sapp. How you doing tonight? Doing well, doing well. Appreciate that. Yeah, The Wire is a great show. Can't wait to talk about it. Um. Again, we want to kind of take your mind off what's going on out, you know, out in the real world with, you know, with, with some some entertainment, some fun, some fun, some jokes. But on a serious tip, everybody out there, be safe. Listen to the health experts. Listen to your doctors. Uh, don't listen to your president. <laughs> but um, be, be safe out there. I know it's, you know, getting serious. And, um, it's, I mean, it's been serious, but, you know, it's amping up even that much more. And uh, again, I hope to take your mind off this, you know, this time that we're going through, which seems to be like an alternative universe. But we'll try. We'll get through it. Uh, Rob, you wasn't here with us last week. Um, So we have categories in terms of, and we'll get to the categories in terms of MVP to episode, uh, key scenes, but we're gonna open the we're gonna open with the opening scene. Uh, this episode, of course, was this was season one, episode two. This uh, episode was directed by Clark Johnson, who would later play Augustus Haynes in season five. And he directed the first two episodes. He directed the pilot episode, and of course, it was written by David Simon and also Ed Burns, who Burns, of course, who would be the main guy for season four uh, with the uh, with the kids. So the opening scene, the detail goes into their new basement, the new their new digs, which is a, which is, I like, a shitty basement, uh, to say the least. They go into the new digs, and before they can even get settled in, uh, Presbyluski, who we were one of the new one of the new characters that was introduced in this episode, shoots, you know, accidentally shoots his gun. Through a, uh, through a wall into a wall, and at that point, it was like it was like yeah, welcome welcome to the detail. Um, <laughs> so what what were your thoughts? First of all, on the new digs, the new digs, and then this guy Presbyluski working with the yeah detail. yeah, it's like watching watching this episode. It's, it's the first season's wild because. Um, I always think about like how I was initially introduced to the wire and um you know the wire came out like right at that time well I think it's like what freshman year of college so we like we like there's a lot uh, that was we, going on I, I graduated I graduated it came out oh two so it was my graduation year oh two oh okay yeah, yeah. okay yeah. so anyway so there was there was still college yeah so there was a lot going on um and now, now that's right, 2002. Uh, I was thinking 2001. Um, so I, there was definitely a lot going on with me during that time. Um, so my brother was the one who introduced it to me. And and I just remember him describing the show. And he was like, yeah, there's, there, there's these cops, and they're like a bunch of F-ups. They're like drunks and stupid, <laughs> and they have to investigate like drug crime. And I was just like, man, wow. And then I watched this episode, you know, after, after you know, the series has come to the claim that, that it's come to. But whenever I watch the first season, I'm like, yeah, that, that, that was an accurate description of the show, especially those first few episodes. It was just like everybody was just a screw-up. This was a place for the rejects. And I nothing uh, nothing's more emblematic of it than Presbyluski just shooting the wall just because. So let's 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 get to the lineup. Let's get to the detail. And you know, it the per, it was that was a perfect title for this episode, the detail, because you had because I I was laughing last night watching this episode because I was like just it just brought me back to how how this detail evolved in terms of just how they got started. I'm like this is this is how it looked at first, I mean, which is hard to believe. 
you have, uh, of course, Cedric Daniels, the, the shift lieutenant, McNulty, uh, Kima, Greggs, um, Herc, and Carver. And then we get introduced to Lester Freeman, uh, Signor, and um, Polk and Mahone. Now, Polk and Mahone were two old, the two older cops who, you know, according to Cedric Daniels, hadn't made a case between them in 10 years. One was a, one would turn, well, I, we'll, get to, we'll get to this later, but one of them, of course, would end up having a drinking problem. But these, like, this group was, I mean, you talk about the, the devil's rejects, and I'm like, I'm like, damn, they really start, I'm like, I forgot, you know, I, I forgot when I went back and watched it, I, like, I forgot how deep they were. First of all, how many people they had been forgetting about these two cops and Santangelo, Santangelo as well, uh, he was a part of it. I forgot how many of them, how many of them were there, and these two older cops who were just, you know, taking up, uh, taking up space. Yeah, again, not quite the '99 Cleveland Browns, not quite an expansion team, but just a lot, just a lot going on. Just a, a bad mix <laughs> of like, you know, even with even with McNulty being as good a cop as he was. He was a you know, he was a drunk and a and a road cop went on his own. I would say the only the only study force the only studying hand was was Greg's early on. I, I think Greg's was probably the most consistent and the one that you you would trust if I was if, you know if I was Daniels. Well, that, I mean, yeah, I was gonna say Daniels, but yeah, yeah. So that like that's the but that's the point of the episode. That's the point of actually the entire show. When you think about it, it's like this wasn't supposed to succeed. This is the, the reason why that group is together is to make it as less likely to succeed as possible. Like they don't want they don't want a good case. That's not the point of this. Um, you know, like later in the episode when Daniels is talking with his mom, his wife, she kind of like I know we're gonna get to that, so I'll save a little bit for that for there. But that that's you know it, it was it was a mis it was a group of misfits for a reason. So Daniels, um, to his credit, um, was able to somewhat salvage this by getting he made he made a trade he made a trade I give Daniels was on was doing the GM thing even back in 2002, so he so he gets he talks to the other one of the other um, I don't know what the guys Contra, Cantrell who was a um, wasn't a major but I think had probably had a similar position that. I probably had a similar position to Daniels because they both were up. We're going to be up for major positions uh, in the future. So he basically says, "Listen, this guy Presbelewski is such a fuck up. You have to give you like you have to give me signal, signal. Like you have this. This is how bad a fuck up he is. He, I, if I'm taking your worst, I have to take. If I'm taking your worst, I have to take your best as well. So he basically, so that was the one move that I give that you gotta give Daniels credit for to kind of negotiate that." Um, and Signor, of course, would be become an important piece as we would, you know, further on into this, as the seasons developed. So that that was, but that, you know, good, nice general manager move by by, by Daniels, who who knew he was dealt, dealt a shitty hand, but was able to lock down a uh, a better, uh, you know, above average officer uh, with with that team. Yeah, he just like badgered the uh, the detective. Okay, he, he took, yeah. <laughs> He's just yeah. like, all right, all right, all right, Daniel, fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, he just I mean, relentless with it. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, which was a big nap uh, by him. So we're gonna get to um, anything else you want to add from the um, nope the opening and what have you. Mm-hmm. So this um, the epigraph. Get into your uh, the epigraph, which of course the wire became. I think the, the wire is the only show that I've ever seen have an epigraph at the beginning of the episode. That was one of the things that made it unique. The epigraph in this episode was by Marla Daniels, who of course is uh, Cedric Daniels' wife. You can't lose if you don't play. That was the epigraph before the um, after the opening credits of this of this episode, which would you know was paramount throughout through the course of this episode. So. Scene, one of the key scenes we'll get into. You have the you have the 
you have the chicken nugget scene, which became one of the more famous scenes uh, of this season. Um, D'Angelo Barksdale is with is with the younger uh, drug dealers, um, Bodie, Wallace, young Michael, Wallace, young, young Michael, Michael B. B. Young Michael B. Young Michael B. Who? who if knew? we only knew. <laughs> so he's with Bodie, Wallace, and Pooh. And he's basically, you know, Michael, you got young Michael B. Wallace talking about the chicken nuggets and whoever invented them must be paid and, and what have you. And, and basically, D'Angelo's like, you know, that's bullshit. It's not, you know, that person who invented them is not getting nothing, getting basic, basic wages. It's about... It's about the money. It's about the man who has the money that controls everything. And that was D'Angelo uh, Barksdale's minute in 42 of, you know, translating a, chicken, a, a conversation about chicken nuggets into capitalism. Um, again, one of the most poignant scenes of the episode, if not even all of season one, for that matter. What was your thought in terms of how he broke that down Um uh, to the to the to Wallace and, and company. You know, as you were talking, I mean, like, I I I have I have plenty of things to say on that, but I'm just like, yo, I met Poop one time, or the actor that played Poop. Um, oh, Trey, yeah. Trey Chaney, yeah, 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 yeah. He's a yeah, yeah. He's a it's just crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. It was it was really random. Um, when I lived in, it was after. Uh, 707. So when I lived in Northwest, um, one of my roommates, he was like an independent film, or like I don't even think he was like he like he was like writing or doing any directing like that. I think he was more like filming aspect of it. So I just remember like I was I came home one evening and there was like just like a lot of camera equipment and that they were sh- apparently they were like shooting a scene. We had like an alleyway in the back way seen through the alleyway and there and like right on the couch was um what's his name tracy uh trey Trey cheney trey cheney yeah trey cheney yep was poop (laughs) if i had him like that's poop that's poop right on my couch um so anyway it's just it's just i was like i see him like yo that's that i remember me and you um but about the scene i mean like the scene the scene is the scene the what what I appreciated about watching it this time um, was like, even though there's like exactly like you said, I mean, like a lot of people have said, like, you know, it's a, it's a speech about capitalism in America. Um, but what I appreciate about how it was written was it was as, um, as if young kids were actually saying those words as much as possible being in a, in a, you know, a prestige show on HBO. Um, like they didn't get too, too deep. He was still, even though like, um, D'Angelo was like trying to drop knowledge on the young boys. It's like when we hear the kids, like the older kids try to drop knowledge with the younger kids, they're still kids that don't know anything about anything. Um, they just think they know more than they actually do and are saying it to somebody who knows much, much less. So it's like, you think Ronald McDonald comes comes up to the chicken man and like all of that. And so I'm listening to I'm just like, yo, this is this is exact not exactly, but this is this is like I can imagine eavesdropping on a conversation and hearing people go in about chicken nuggets, hearing one of the kids going in about chicken nuggets. So I actually I appreciate I mean, you know, the wires the wires famous um for it's a level of detail and so i actually appreciate really appreciate that detail when i was looking it wasn't like oh these is you know in a lot of different in a lot of different areas um in tv film whatever the supposedly 16 year olds or 14 year old 12 year olds are sounding like fully formed human beings because the writers are adults and writing it as they were talking. So I appreciated that detail this time around. And that, uh, well, excuse me, at the end of the scene, um, even though uh, D'Angelo's broke it down to, you know, to him about how this thing goes, Wallace still shows you you his age, it says, in terms of, well, you know, he still came up with the idea, 
So you even have to all that. I like how they did that, just showing you even even how and I don't I mean, we can interpret how much how much how much of it do they understand, how much did they take in. But they even you know, to show that part they it was I thought it was important for them to like for them to have Wallace say something like that just to just to reinforce that they are still kids. Like we they still yeah. kids who don't know shit. Nice level so, nice level of detail there. Yeah, I, I like that that part of it. What did that tell you about early on D'Angelo? What like from that standpoint up into you know, this going through these first couple of episodes, especially in this episode I mean, in particular, what they're they're making the the character D'Angelo pretty obvious what what it is that that he he's the He's the one that has um, a heart, you know, uh, and and so like he he just he just isn't thinking about it in terms of you know absolutes white and black. He see, he sees the shades of gray, which leads us to um, to which leads us to a scene where you have. Uh, D'Angelo, Bunk, McNulty, and also Bodie in the pit. And now Bunk and McNulty are just at this point. This is following, of course, the, the William Gant shooting. William Gant, of course, was was killed at the end of episode one. Uh, Gant, of course, testified against D'Angelo, and D'Angelo, of course, would end up getting off. Um, so they just at this point. They don't have anything concrete. They have nothing concrete. They're just going in, you know, just wanting to fuck with D'Angelo, just trying, you know, just trying to see some things. And well, but no, he says it. He said he says he wants to see how how uh, like how much heart he has. Yes, he wants yes. to see if, if if he's eventually somebody. You know, it's a chess game, right? Like like everybody's yeah. out there. Everybody's playing. I mean, it's a game, right? Like that. That's that's a big big piece of like what this whole show is about. And so it's, it's a uh, initial move uh, to eventually see if he's somebody that could be somebody they can turn somebody who can be an informant, somebody who could do that, whatever. Um, but yeah, yeah, so they're just testing him at this point in time. So the, so, you know, they asked him about, this is what he thought about the Gantt, you know, about the Gantt murder. And basically McNulty goes on this, Mini rant, basically saying, "Look, I, I'm not here for a, for a drug charge. I don't care if you sell your shit, but I'm about the bodies." And he says, "What McNulty says, I don't. The thing I don't understand about about y'all drug dealers is why can't you just sell your shit and move on?" And um, Bodie, um, Bodie ends up basically saying, "Look, this is the game. You, you, you win this shit, you might get yourself, you might get killed." Like and that's how he, and he said that's how I feel to paraphrase him that's how I feel. Cody does this without, of course, giving up no information about his name and and, and what have you. Um, <laughs> McNulty called him uh, Mr. Shit. He's like Mr. Shit here. He's like what's he's like what's your name? He's like I ain't say shit. He's like yeah, it's you, me. It's just you, me, and Mr. Shit. And uh, Bodie, Bodie just walks away. Bodie walks away, takes uh, Pooh and uh, Wallace with him, calls them, calls them, you know, to walk away. And of course, they they weren't right, they weren't in directly in the scene, but I guess they were like a couple of steps away. So he calls everybody, calls them, and they go about their business. So you're left with just McNulty, Bulk, and D'Angelo. And you know, D'Angelo's going through. You know, D'Angelo really hasn't fully. They can tell at this point. I feel like McNulty, you know, thought that they like okay, maybe. Maybe we got something here in terms of uh, this is somebody who we can come at, and they end up they end up taking him, uh, end up arresting him. Um, now through it, now with this, uh, McNulty accomplishes a couple things. Taking number one, he takes in he sees number one that he's not going to get anything out of Bodie, so he recognizes Bodie as a soldier. Two, he sees, and I don't know at this point he didn't know who he was, but he sees a couple couple trucks. Uh, in one of the trucks. Mercedes trucks uh, Stringer was in with uh, I believe Stringer was in Wee Bay was in one truck Stinkham was in another truck so that that those you know those enforcers were in uh, two separate trucks so he so I, I'm I'm sure in McNulty's mind he's thinking that hey whoever's looking at whoever's in these trucks is somebody 
semi-important. So we, we, we accomplished a couple of things in terms of creating, making some noise here, drawing some attention. Uh, what were your thoughts? Um, so I, I think a couple of things. One is, uh, like, like the, there's, there's an important part that happens in there when, um, Bodie's walking away and, uh, Bodie, he basically says, he's like, he's like those people that, um, that are, are witnessing that spend their time witnessing stuff, get got out here. And he's like, yeah. you know, it might sound a little bit harsh, but that is that's how it is out here um and so i think there's a couple different couple of poor parts about that a he was just letting you know i mean like that that was that was a subtle message to to um to d'angelo um and just kind of like letting uh letting the audience know or just like orientating everybody to like you know the realities of of what this world is, um, and so like that I th- I think that that I put that as important as the chicken nugget scene, um, those those words right there, and then I think secondly you gotta remember like like we have a perspective of seeing the entire series run out, but at the point in time in which we're we're interacting with the characters in the show. Uh, they don't know anything but the information that is in front of them. So uh, the the Mister Shit comment was hilarious, of course, but also it's like at this point in time, Bodie's nothing to them. He doesn't. They don't know him or anything. Um, and so it's just like, and then like you get the scene later on with everybody in the, with the three in the, in the project. But it's just the point being like, at this point in time, these are just a bunch of project, um, Negroes to, to everybody here. And they're not necessarily assigning them the sophistication that is there. The only one who kind of sees it to your point is McNulty. Um, he could kind of see how sophisticated the operation is, or at least he respects what it means to own, quote unquote, own that property, own that 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 share of the the drug trade, and what it must have taken to accomplish that. And so, um, to answer your question specifically, when he sees them over there, you know, in in very nice vehicles, kind of like everybody coming over and coming over and and uh acknowledging them um in the cars which is much different than them just walking up on uh the crew sitting on a busted couch out in the middle of of the project he can recognize okay that that that's those are the it's consistent with what i know of stringer bell and them um that they're 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 big time in terms of the the drug trade in West Baltimore at that time. Yeah, I want to get back to that that point you made about the witnessing in terms of like when Bodie said what he said, because that 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 definitely was the most important thing that was said in that scene from the standpoint of it's tied. You you can kind of tie that into the epigraph. Uh, you can't lose if you can't if you don't play. No, because what happened? William Gant testified. And he got shot. If William Gant doesn't testify, he's still alive. So I, that that is a direct tie-in from that standpoint. Uh, uh, when Bodie said that, uh, when Bodie makes that makes that statement, so they go into they take they take um, D'Angelo in. Again, they have no they have nothing on D'Angelo whatsoever. Um, they take him to the interrogation room. Even before they get into the room, they they run it by Daniels. Daniels is like, you know, basically, why is he here? And you know, McNulty uh, goes and tells him who he is, and tells him who he is, and basically, we're basically going to make a run at him. Uh, you know, try to see what we can get out of out of him. Um, Daniels, of course, is skeptical about it. He makes McNulty, and uh, he forces McNulty to use Kima. Or to at least Kima to be present in the interview room, 
of course, McNulty. Because at this point, at least, you know, through the first episode and a half, at the, up until this point, there's zero trust between the two, between McNulty and Daniels. We already went over a lot of that stuff, of course, on episode one, when McNulty was running his mouth to the uh, to the judge, and they got him in hot water with, you know, with everybody, Rawls and, and Daniels and, and what have you. Um, the integrity, the, they, they go in, they, they take D'Angelo in, and this was, this scene was just, that, that interrogation was so good that when I first saw it, so basically they showed D'Angelo, you know, they, they asked him about Gantt, and they basically planted guilt trip on D'Angelo by showing him pictures of who turned out to be Bunk's kids, his three kids, had D'Angelo thinking that these, these were William Gant's kids and made William Gant out to be this, you know, this guy who's, you know, volunteering in the church, got three kids, a working man, and basically, I mean, they, they this, it, this was a, it was a master class in interrogation. And that, I, like that, Kima had no part of it, part of it. she was just standing to the side, and, uh, and rightfully so, because the rhythm that Bunk and McNulty had, you can tell they had been doing it for a long time, you can tell they were partners, it was it was beautiful to watch. I mean, I, again, when I first saw it, I thought that those were uh, Gans kids. Like, I, I had no idea. Like the way they, how they did that, the way they did that interrogation uh, was masterful. And they end up getting to a point where they get um, they get the angel to write a letter, which again. This is and this is this goes back to what you said, what you mentioned about D'Angelo and his heart, and you know his you know not being that you know we knew we knew his heart wasn't wasn't all in terms of the drug game, but this 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 definitely speaks to that. Uh, what was your thoughts on that interrogation scene? Well, all right, so uh, they they're they're um, they're hustling him, they're playing him, they're they're trying they're trying to test. Test him and see see where the weaknesses lie. Like that, the analogy of this being a chess game comes into play. I'll get back to the uh, to, to that specific scene in a second. But because you you bring up like the the line, the you say, say your uh, say the word. I'm an English lit major, and it's still this one. This one's challenging for epigraph. me. Epigraph. 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 So you bring up the epigraph, and the reason why the epigraph is important is it because it not only tells you kind of like the tagline of a story, or at least this is why it's important to me. It not only tells you kind of like the guideline, the the tagline of the story, but it also gives you kind of like the emotional like beat of like what what is going on. And so there there the reason why I really enjoy this scene, like you enjoy this scene, is. There's a very initial kind of like level of like this is what we do, right? Like this is the routine. We're cops. You're, uh, we're, you know, we're a homicide. You're a potential uh, perp, or you got off, or whatever. And so this is the rhythm and the routine that that we that we do, which is very cool and very entertaining. We'll see it happen with with McNulty and Bunk many many times over the course of this season, other seasons. But going back to that that uh, epigraph of you don't um, say it one more time. Uh, you can't don't lose. Can't, you can't lose you if you play. don't play. Um, you know that that is kind of like the drumbeat of what McNulty is saying about the witness, right? And it's like it's like in one instance we can get on D'Angelo and be like, oh, he's not hard enough. He's not built for this. But again, that epigraph is telling us. Like it's deeper than that. You gotta go. You gotta look deeper than that. And it's like, if we don't all play the game, if we don't all get in there and like for real get in there, then what are we doing? That everybody loses, right? And so it's like, you know, the joke is with Bunk. And I found like like watching this this time around, the joke of Bunk is like Bunk, like stop picking up the phone. You can't like like you know it, it's not your turn. But constantly, McNulty is the one who's always, or let me, I, in this episode, he's, the judge even talks to him about, like, oh, wait, no, that was, that was the first episode. I watched both of them back to back. Um, okay. okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, the judge, the judge talks to him about why are you in the courthouse, like, right? So, but anyways, McNulty is constantly 
giving an ish. Um, and everybody's always questioning him, questioning him on that. It looks like arrogance, and it absolutely is arrogance in a lot of different ways, but it also is him saying that if I don't play this game, then nothing happens, right? Like if, if he doesn't care, if he doesn't keep pushing, like, hey, a witness got shot, hey, a witness got shot, hey, a witness got shot, let's talk, da, 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 then nothing will ever happen. Justice will never, ever be done in his mind and I think in the, the show creator's mind, which is why that epigraph, which is why that epigraph is important. And, and to your point, why each and every epigraph is important because it's the heartbeat of the episode. Well, this is why, and that's why, to your point about Nosy, but Nosy is the absolute, she's the opposite, polar opposite of what the epigraph it says is speaking to. The, the absolute polar opposite. He's, like you said, he's constantly playing. He's constantly that, the epig- I, I'll only, like, I'll challenge you a little bit just in terms of, I don't think the epigraph at the beginning of the episodes is a definitive statement. I think it's, I think the epigraph I mean, I would argue epigraphs in general are rhetorical questions, things for you to contemplate, think about. It's not a definitive no, that, statement. That, no, it might be phrased as a definitive statement, but it's but it's not a definitive statement. So I agree with you in the the epigraph said something like, "Hey, like if you like like if you if you don't play, you can't lose." But they also flip around with like what the saying actually means if you don't win I mean if you don't play you can't win um, uh, let's, let's, anyway. put, let, we, well, let's put a bookmark on that because I'm going to get back yep. to that later in the episode let's, let's put a bookmark on that so, so they end up having him write um, Levy comes in Maurice Levy and basically says you know Levy's like what, you know, what the hell is going on here like you, you have nothing uh, he, he he smacks D'Angelo in the head. He's like, I keep telling you people. Like, you so that was hilarious. I forgot. I forgot about that. I've got many times that I've seen that episode. I've seen this, this series. I completely forgot they smacked D'Angelo in the uh, in the back of the head as they're walking out. And basically, that was you know when, when Levy walks in. Levy, of course, is a lawyer for the Barksdales. Um, he the, the interview was over, but but at that point it was you know the damage was already done. Um, they knew this is a guy that you know we can that that's that we can that we can get to. Even though the letter was basically didn't incriminate anybody, didn't incriminate himself or anybody else for that matter. But it was a you know it was basically it was the letter the letter and they already knew this even before he started writing the letter that they knew that they could. Um, they knew that he, that he had a heart. They knew that he cared. And if you're a cop in that game, you know that that's, that's a weakness. So D'Angelo gets walked out by Levy, no charges, of course. And next thing you know, you have um, the family scene with uh, – you have the barbecue scene where you have Avon and company and Stringer and family. It seems like it was a family – it was a family indoor barbecue or whatever, what have you, a family gathering. Avon's there, of course. Stringer's there. And, uh, you know, a bunch of, I, I'm assuming to be family members, close friends and family. And uh, Donette, we first meet, we just, we get introduced to Donette, D'Angelo's girlfriend. He brings her along with, with his child. And um, Avon, of course, pulls D'Angelo aside and basically, you know, gives him, you know, an earful in terms of what, you know, why are you writing? Um, we did what we did for a reason regarding in terms of the William Gantt shooting. Uh, Avon, again, Avon in that scene never admitted to D'Angelo directly that we had him killed. He basically said, if we, whatever we did, we had a reason for doing it. So that, to me, that um, he said, he says that in the scene. And of course, similar to similar to the first. Uh, tongue lashing that Avon gave D'Angelo in episode one, he walks away. It, it ends on good terms. It ends like, hey, basically, I still love you. Let's get somebody. The first, well, in episode one, it was like, I still love you. Don't walk away like that. You family. Gives a kiss on the head. This one is like, all right, man, come on. Let's get, let's get some ribs for the ER ribs. And I, I thought, and I said this in the first episode, that that, his 
love for D'Angelo was, was, was a weakness. One of the few, very few weaknesses that Avon had um, was a weakness, um, uh, was to be seen, seen as a weakness. What was your thoughts on, on that, uh, that exchange with Avon and D'Angelo? But, I mean, you know, family. Like he even says, like when he's passing Avon, I'm mean, Avon, uh, D'Angelo's, D'Angelo's uh, son, son to who, 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 to whatever lady that that was was grabbing him. That um, he's like, yo, you trying to take my little soldier away from me, away from me? That's, That's you know, good I mean, like there's so there's so many different like analogies that you can you can uh, uh, look through, but just just like. You know, like the the people that you're going to be able to trust, and the kind of like the way that that the drug game for them looked at that particular time was, um, you grew up with it, you grew up in it, and so families, families, everything. Avon's family, I mean, uh, D'Angelo's family, and he trying he trying to school them to the game. Yeah, as we know. Yeah. Did you now? I, I'm glad you brought that up as far as because that that was something that I did not pick up on when I it, many times I've seen it. The 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 uh, you taking away my little soldier. I did mm-hmm. not think about it until I watched it again last night. Now I might be reaching what I'm about to say. It might be reaching a little bit, but I'm gonna ask you: Do you think in Avon's mind he's already thinking about this young boy? This little boy gonna be going to get into the game. Do you think he, he's already? Do you think that's going through his head? Even though the little boy is just like basically two or three years old, only two or three years old. I think a. I think that's definitely going through the writers' heads, which is which is probably the more important thing. Um, the people who are writing that. And then I think if if I'm just looking at the character of Avon, this is how this this is how this goes down. It's passed on generation to generation. My my father, your father, your uncle, your cousin, everybody's involved. His sister's involved. You know, like every – it's a family affair. So, of course, there, there, it just – there isn't a – like that group, their mentality, right, because then we uh, – you know, I'm, I'm about to skip ahead to season three. Um, that uh, that group, that mentality right there, what what they're saying it looked like in their particular viewpoint – from that particular part of West Baltimore, you know, not trying to, not trying to, you know, make it countrywide or anything like that. That group right there, it was definitely a family affair. It was definitely right. a family affair. Everybody who was Bark, the reason Barksdale is a name is because Barksdale is a name. Like it's a family. It's the whole, it's the whole entire unit. Kind of like, you know, the mafia family, Gambino, uh, 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 whatever, you know. Um, yeah, it's it, it's your it's your you're in it. You're part you're part of family. One of the wire the wire does a lot of things. The one thing that you don't hear the characters who are in the drug game saying a lot, probably outside of D'Angelo, um, is you shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> nobody says that a lot. No, no, and, nobody. Nobody. <laughs> hey, nah, nah, no. you shouldn't nobody. be doing it. <laughs> Way, way until we get to season four. And that's what makes that moment so powerful. Um, so, you know, they, they don't hear you could be doing something else. Right, right. No, they didn't know. That was not in the Barksdale households or right. that, that's that's not That's not no. a message that is being, being given. So, so you have um, Bubbles. I want to get into the bubbles with the red hat scene. Um, so prior to that, you have Kima, Herc, and Carver on the roof. Now, Kima, we all know that Kima uh, pulled bubbles in as her, uh, she's, the bubbles is her snitch, uh, her CI. Um, mm-hmm. she, she's on the roof with Herc and Carver basically and tells them, listen, take pictures of anything, okay, take pictures of anybody uh, that Bubbles interacts with. He's in the pit, and you have Weebay down there, Little Man's down there, I think Savino. So basically a bunch of uh, Barksdale soldiers are down there. 
and Bubbles, of course, has his uh, red hat. Anybody who puts a red hat on, on, they're in the game. There's somebody that, that, that needs to be, you know, there's somebody important. Now, before, you know, before we even get to that, you had Herc and Carver. You had Car- Herc mainly, because I want to get Herc and Carver. Herc basically complaining, saying that, hey, telling Carver, look, do you think that Kima thinks that she, you know, that she's better than us? I don't see, basically, he says, I don't see no fucking strikes. Um, Carver is basically semi-ignoring him, but hears him enough. He keeps talking, basically tells him, like, look, shut up. I'm just taking, I'm, I'm taking mm-hmm. pictures. And he begins to take pictures of, uh, as Bubbles starts to put the red hats on Stakeham, um, Weebay, and uh, Little Man. That really, I think that was kind of the beginning of the whole, we don't get no respect. Nobody pays attention to us in terms of Herc and Carver. And I got the sense that it was it was it was it was seemingly more Herc than anything. Uh, what were your thoughts on the, the scene, and what were your thoughts on the whole Herc Carver dynamic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely the beginning because this is episode two of the first season. Yeah. So yeah, nah, it's definitely it's definitely the beginning. Um, and so you know they they I mean like we know what we know what they will look like as fully formed characters. So they they yeah they're dropping they're dropping the initial kind of kind of things of 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 who of the parts of 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 who they are. I think the overall point that I that you notice and I'm I'm trying to take myself back to like watch it from is that these guys are not intelligent. Like they're not street they're not cop savvy street savvy detective. Um but but even 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 in getting there, I'm probably thinking at the very least to the end of the season. So I'm trying to put myself right back. All right, this is episode two. What would I be thinking about their relationship? They're not smart. They're they're just yeah. they're just goon detectives, basically. Yeah. Or goon yeah, cops. I... Goon cops. Goon cops. Yeah, they. Um... And again, this is, uh, and of course you have Herc, not Herc, you had um, Bubbles um, taking uh, pictures. He gets the pictures uh, of, of, and gets, that was, really that was the first, that was the first uh, major opening into, I feel, into the Barksdale, that opened up things into the Barksdale organization. Like, all right, we finally got some photos. We don't have names yet. We got some, we got some faces. Uh, Kima, you know, uses that, uses that, um, uses bubbles, or not uses bubbles, but bubbles. Of course, bubbles' motivation for doing that, of course, and you go back, this goes back to episode one, when his, uh, his pup, the young boy, Johnny, Johnny got jumped and beat up by uh, Barstow soldiers in the pit for trying to, you know, fake, trying to rip them off with fake money. Uh, so bubbles, of course, is doing, you know, just kind of going on his, you know, crusade, from that standpoint, and um, uh, and, and gives them basically some free information, but McNulty, of course, gives them, gives them twenty dollars, and basically saying, "Hey, I respect you know, I respect the work." And I mean, like when they're telling the story about how like him and Kima like started out, he was like, "Yeah, I would get ten dollars a head for like different people that the hats on." And he was like, "Oh, so how much McNulty's like, how much are you getting for this?" And Bubbles like, "Oh, this one, this one's free." And then he, then he starts to tell the story about. So they're they're reiterating that point that you just brought up. Like this was personal. This don't have anything to do with money. It's personal. Right. No, that was that was his way of of, of getting back. So getting back to Herc and Carver. So along with her, along with Prez, Herc Carver and Prez um, get drunk or semi tipsy. They had a couple of beers. Had a couple of beers. Nah, I think it's fair enough to call them drunk. They were drunk. No, they were drunk. They were drunk. Yeah, no, they were. You're right. They were drunk. They were drunk. They had That's some not beers. even a tipsy idea. That's not even a tipsy <laughs> no, idea. That's not a tipsy idea let's, at all. Let's go to one of the most dangerous places in the city at 2 a.m. in the morning <laughs> and start harassing everybody. So, Only so good things go, can happen. <laughs> they get drunk uh, under the famous that famous underhang, which would be which would become famous. Over the course of, of many of, of, of the seasons with the wire, uh, and decide to go into 
the towers and with again no rational thought we just gonna bang some heads and get some answers and this like this is like the worst combination of cops that you could put together on 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 this show this like you couldn't find a worse combination with Herc Carver and Pre and Presbyluski like they, these three you knew even before even first watching this. Even if you watched this the first time, you knew that this was this was not going to turn out <laughs> turn out well. They go in, harass you know a couple uh, you know a couple of people for no reason, but just zero reasons. I mean, guy like uh, these are just some innocent they're bystanders. Drunk. Yes, they're, they're drunk. drunk. Yeah, they're drunk they cops. Just, they were just shot. They were yes. They were just shot. Yeah, they were shot. Uh, they were uh, they were completely wasted. Uh, and then of course you have. Um, Eventually, the towers, uh, people from the towers start throwing glass bottles, televisions, and it yeah, becomes a after he hit the after he hit the kid with the gun. Yes, yes, after he hit the kid, that's yes, after he hit the kid with the gun. The kid, now the kid was eating potato chips, sitting on the car, eating potato chips, and this was this was all Car, not Carver. This was all President Lewski. President Lewski. President just you know hit the kid with the with the butt of the gun. And you know, bust the kid's eye, and end up, you know, end up the kid end up losing the eye, end up going blind at the, towards at the end of the episode. We find out, um, and next thing you know, all hell breaks loose. It got to a point to where they were under the car, and and this thing, I didn't notice. I noticed it this time. I didn't notice it a number of times. They actually Prez actually fired shots. <laughs> he, was, mm-hmm. he, was actually, he was actually firing shots back up. In, uh, you know, up in the towers. I didn't, I noticed that last night when I watched it. So the car gets completely just total toasted, and these three dumbasses just you know showed you who they were. Uh, Daniels, of course, is you know besides himself. He's out. You know, kept. He's uh, he's out two. He's out a shotgun, a car. Uh, I mean, he's he's frustrated, but really quick because this is this is like there's a lot. This is a meaty, deep, 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 deep scene. So, go, go so, so he's he's making a point by detailing everything because he knows that these two knuckleheads, these three knuckleheads, won't get the impact of their actions and what they did. They went, they're policemen. They're in charge of protecting the citizens, and what they did was go into a neighborhood and harass the citizens. So, again, going back to that epigraph of you don't, um, you don't lose if you don't play, um, like if the idea is that in order for us to know and be able to combat this this drug, this this war that never ends. In order for us to even be able to do anything about it, we got to have trust. People got to be able right. to trust us. And there's no, and what he was saying was, what point, what reason, what could, what valuable piece of information does going in there yeah. at 2 a.m. do? As a matter of fact, it doesn't do anything valuable. It actually hurts. The case now, him being a lieutenant and having years in the game, he knows not only the impact of that, which is which is why him and Prez and and him have well, you'll get to that in a second, but but that the reason why it's so meaty is because he also this is also to to his wife's point, it's such a no win game, but he's trying to figure out how to play it in a way uh-huh. in which he can he can win because. On one end, Presbyluski should be in jail. By any stretch of any imagination, anywhere he should be in jail. But he's protected by his by uh, his and back. and yeah. so. Oh, you can't hear. No, it was a no-win situation for them to go into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The but that's why I said, like, so, like this scene. At that point, they like, drunk out is, their minds. This they is the this is, to me. No this is the most important scene with anybody in those towers. Whatsoever, none. Like they had, they had, they had no. They, they, they had. You know, Kima has bubbles. Okay, taking pictures. Right. They have nobody that they know 
that be willing to talk to him, be willing to share any piece of information. So it served like zero purpose. Hello, can you hear me? Hello? 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 That's Rob, you back? Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Now, I heard everything you were saying, and I was talking like we could hear each other, and then at some point I realized, oh, wait, we're, there's no, we're not, we're oh, not yeah, hearing my, each other. My line, my line, yeah, my line had dropped. I had to reconnect my line. Okay. Too. So my, okay, my, yeah, I, I can hear you. I can hear everything you were saying. Uh, so, yeah, no, I heard everything. I just realized, oh, may, let me try to hang up because we, we can't hear each other. Yeah, but yeah, I you were talking about that that there was nothing. Yeah, there was nothing that was gained by going in there. No, there was nothing that could be gained. I also think that he was trying to send a message to them, like I'm not going to tolerate this shit. Like this is not, this is not, you know, this is not how this unit is going to be ran. I think he was trying to send a message to them from that standpoint as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. The last part of it, he gets so President Lewski, he drilled President Lewski about the kid. First of all. I, I love I love how long it took them to admit. <laughs> so they were not going to give each other up. Like they were not. That no, was, I mean, and that makes sense. Yeah, no, it made no, it made sense. I, and again, I love the subtlety. But also, neither Hurt nor Carver were putting their hands up and being like, "I did it." They weren't going to take the no. bullet for him either. No, 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 no. They weren't. No, they weren't going <laughs> to give each other up. They weren't. No, they weren't going to just. Yeah, neither one of them were going to say anything. Uh, President Lucy, of course, admits to it, and then you know he basically says because he pissed me off, and he's like then you know Daniel says no, no, Miss Officer President Lucy, you were in fear for your life and the safety of your fellow officers, and boom, and then et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was very, it was so, it was classic Daniels from a standpoint. It was just so detailed how that is detailed to, and you, you can tell even if you even if you hadn't seen it before. You could just look. You could see the experience that Daniels had. You could see how many. You know, you can get the sense of you know this is why he's a lieutenant. This is why he's in that position of leadership. And just knowing you also you also saw how irritated he was having to give this this person um, a lie, like having to having to actually lie for him. Yes. Or give him yes. the correct answer to the test at the very least. He was not. He was not excited about giving him that 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 answer. All right, all right. Yeah, so he he was not going. Yeah, Rob. Oh, can you hear me? All right, we'll, we'll get back with us. Um, he was irritated to say the least um, by by those two, and um, again, this is something that he did not want to do. He did not want to have to like give. That particular speech um, to uh, to President Lewski. he did not want to have to give. He did not want to have to uh, say what he had to say. Uh, say what he said um, to them. And again, you you have if you're somebody in a position of leadership, somebody in a position of leadership, there's only so much you can do um, in, in regards to the people you deal with or the people you have to work with. Um, especially dealing with dealing with growing adults, especially dealing with a situation where people's lives are at stake, 
uh, as, as cops and officers and those positions, it'll be like a military position, per se, where you know lives are on the line when um, lives can be lost at any time when somebody makes their, that, that uh, countless uh, those type of, types of errors. So he's annoyed by that. And uh, again, that was definitely, that definitely was connected to the epigraph in terms of you can't lose if you don't play. Uh, that was a situation where they had no business going to the uh, going to the towers, and they wouldn't if they would have just went home and you know you know went home and went about their business. There there would have been nothing to lose at all. They wouldn't have lost anything. Uh, now you have a situation. Now you have the sense of they cause it. Now you have the sense of the cops are you know it draws unnecessary attention to the towards the cops. Sure, I'm sure that got back. I'm sure that got back to the people who dealt with, uh, who deal with the Barksdales, um, in terms of that. So there's a lot of unnecessary attention that was drawn, um, that was drawn to, uh, to them by, uh, by those actions. And again, that was the one of the worst combinations that you could possibly find. Like those, that combination of Herc, Carver. And Presbyluski was uh, you can't have a worse worse combination in terms of um, you can't have a worse combination in terms of uh, of, of being uh, investigators. Herc, you remember, not only were Herc and Carver bad officers, they were terrible at their jobs. You had Presbyluski, who only reason why he was assigned to that task force was because the only reason only he was assigned to that task force, or the only reason that he was because of uh, the relationship that he had with uh, that he was uh, related with Valchek and that he was a son-in-law to a major. So that's the only reason why he was, you know, that he was connected um, to um, that he was connected uh, to uh, the what's the name that detail. Otherwise, they like there's no way that you take a guy uh, you you take somebody like that. In terms of your detail, remember, and early in the episode, you remember uh, Daniel's having a conversation with uh, with Rhonda, with Pearlman, and basically saying that you know I can't take this dude. Like I like based on his file, based on she told him the story about how he uh, shot up a car and he tried to deny it, and he. You know, stood with his story for a half a day until ballistics matched up, matched the bullets to his gun. So he already knew. Daniels already knew going into um, going into this that uh, Presbyluski was was horrible and wasn't like uh, somebody that he did not really that didn't want on his team at all. But he had to deal with him. He uh, had to deal with him regardless, and. Um, you know that was a first of many comical scenes. Uh, not comical. He got a kid that got hit. Uh, the guy's eye busted. But that um, was, you know, first of many blunders by uh, by Herc and um, by Herc and Carver. And you got this. And if you notice in those two scenes, the scenes with Herc and Carver, if you notice. Um, in both the scenes, the one on the rooftop and the one where Carver and the one where they're, they're drunk out of their minds, both of those are led by Carver, by Herc. Herc is the one that initiates um, initiates the, the action in both, in, in both those scenes. The one on the rooftop, he says, you know, he basically says, you know, you think Kima is better than us and Kima, you know, Carver's taking pictures. Herc is the one that initiates that 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 conversation or that lack of in terms of having in terms of them not getting their, uh, their proper respect from that standpoint. So he's the one that initiates that. Down, you know, when they were getting drunk with Presbyluski, is again Herc the one saying, "Let's go out there, let's bust some heads, let's go right now." Carver, now Carver was dumb for following along, but it was one. It was Herc. Who uh, initiated both uh, both those uh, conversations? 
um, in regards to in regards to what he was uh, in regards to what was said um, by um, in regards to um, that interaction, that partnership with Hurricane Garber. Hope to hope we hope to get Robert Sack back here uh, in a couple minutes. Uh, we're gonna go to some. Um, we're gonna go to the epigraph. So the epigraph, we talked about the epigraph. Um, you can't lose if you don't play. So Daniels finds out that. Uh, Daniels finds out that uh, he gets a call in the middle of the night that the kid has lost, uh, is blind in one eye, and um, he has a conversation with his wife, who basically is telling him, says, you can't lose if you don't play. Um, he has a conversation with his wife earlier in the episode in which she says, you can't lose if you don't play. Um, because she basically tells him, you know, she basically... And th- at this point in the uh, early, at this point in the uh, series, you have guys like Valchek, uh, Rawls, and the uh, deputy ops, played by Frankie Faison. Um, the guy, his name is on top of my on tip of my tongue, who have gotten to where they've gotten because they're good at they're, they're great politicians. They're great, at, they're great at playing the game. They are uh, not ruffling feathers. They're great at playing the game. And she's basically telling him, telling Daniels, if you want to get to where you want to be, then, you know, stay away from this case, in other words. Don't, don't take this case or, keep, or, or, or just do the bare minimum in terms of this case. Don't ruffle any feathers. Don't ruffle any feathers. Keep it, keep it simple, keep it clean, and keep it moving. And Daniels, I think, at this point, and that's why Daniels and, and uh, McNulty are going, are clashing and going, you know, back and forth because McNulty is the ultimate risk taker. He's the one um, that uh, wants to take all the risks. He's the one that he wants to get this case done. McNulty, and McNulty said in episode one, I'm going to do this case. I'm going to do it right. So McNulty says, hey, this case is going to get done. I'm going to do it right. Um, and we're going to go, and we're going to take it from there. So that's, that's part. So Daniel's wife is telling me, telling Daniel's, look, just, just don't basically don't ruffle feathers. Don't ruffle any feathers. Um, we'll see. You know you can. You know don't ruffle any feathers. And Daniel again. I think Daniel's at this point is torn. I think part of him wants to go the conservative route and just you know he's at this point he's a company man. He's a company man at this point. Um, Chain of command. You heard him saying basically, chain of command. That's how we do things. Uh, follow chain of command. Uh, he had that, that speech uh, with uh, McNulty. And, and um, but deep down, there's something deep down that's telling Daniels we should do this game. That 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 we that we're gonna have to like really go all in if we want to do this case. Like that, that, I think that's part. I think he. I think that's part. That's. I think that. I think he's conflict. I think he's. Um, I think that Daniels is having that inner that inner conflict uh, within, because uh, he knows that as you know more information came about, and deep down, and deep down he knows McNulty is right, but he doesn't. You know, at this point he hates McNulty. He doesn't want to admit to McNulty that like McNulty is right. In uh, in regards to this, so Daniels um, again, Daniels, you know, once is trying to move up, wants to move up, he wants to become a major, and he know, and he doesn't, he he doesn't, he wants to become a major, but he wants to do this case, and he feel, and you know, 
at this point in, in his mind, if he does this, if he does this case the way it should be done, he probably he's probably not going to be. He will not be a major. He will not reach uh, the status of becoming a major, and he knows that. So that was the inner conflict. Um, with, that was conflict with uh, with Daniels. Uh, uh, with that. Um, we'll get to MVPs grading the episode. The MVPs, MVPs of the episode, the MVP of the episode. I would have to lean towards Kima. I thought about Daniels, but then I would have to lean towards Kima because um, I think Kima having a CI. You know, Kima was the polar opposite of what Herc and Carver were. She had she had a CI that kind of opened up the case. Uh, it gave her gave you some insight. Now at this point, we didn't have any. There were no names at this point, but they had she had faces. So this guy this guy's a player. He's a player. He's a player. We have faces, and some of the pieces are starting to come together in this case. And she, you know. And she explained this to Herc and Carver in episode one. All y'all do is bust heads. Y'all, y'all, you have nobody on the street. Because all y'all do is bust heads right now. One, one, one police brutality case at a time. So I think that at this point, I would say that uh, I think that Kima is the MVP of this episode. Because I think that her, you know, introducing her, not her, excuse me, introducing Bubbles, especially introducing Bubbles and McNulty, she jump starts that relationship, which again is going to lead to some things that we'll we'll see later on over the course of the season. And um, so she gets the MVP of this episode. I gave this episode a B plus. I think as I more now think about it and thought about it, it probably is closer to an A minus. Probably closer to an A minus. So, um, the episode gets an A minus. I have Kima as the uh, MVP, and um, Kima as the MVP, and of course, the epigraph you can't lose if you don't play. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of. The Real Deal Podcast, Wire Remix, Episode 2, The Detail. We'll be back, we'll be back next week with Episode 3, with uh, Episode 3, The Buys. I'm out.